Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this first Lord's Day of a brand new year and Happy New Year. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Isn't it good to be together? David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. It's a fun thing that, uh, you know, people get mad when you cancel church. We want to be together. I thought Chris and Joy were going to have a plum revolt on us. We was going to get in trouble. But partly the reason we didn't have is we didn't want Chris and Joy like coming to church and getting a flat tire and freezing to death on the side of the road, you know. Uh, we didn't want the, anyone to to have that kind of be in that kind of danger. So we're glad we're together. But I I love the fact that we love each other and that we want to be together. You know that's a great gift that God has given us. Amen. Amen. We used to sing this song. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. Love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a sight just to see all those happy faces praising God in heavenly places. What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. That's how I feel when I see you. And it's kind of a shame we can't sing that song. Jonathan, could you learn that song? All right, he's going to learn it. All right. And yeah, it may sound a little bit silly, but you know what? It is how we feel. It's how I feel. I look forward to seeing you. And, you know, when I, I see one, I'm like, hey, well, you know, is, is he, where are they, where's the other one at? You know, where are they, where are they all at? You know, and I miss... Some, you know, maybe even Benita's online. She's watching us. I'm like, is she going to make it in today? Is she going to be all right? I hope she's going to, hope we'll get to see her today. Psalm 96 says this, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Everybody say a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord and bless his name and show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are but idols, but the Lord hath made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name and bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigns. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved and he shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful in all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh. He cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Can we say thanks be to God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your bride, Lord, your church, the body of Christ in the world, your hands and feet. And I thank you, Lord, that when I take hold of my brother's hand here or my sister's hand or 
I put my hand upon their shoulder, Lord. I am touching you, and you are touching me. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that as we would exchange holy kisses and as we would find ourselves in affection and conversation with one another, that we would rejoice that you have saved us, not just for uh, a payday someday, but that you are rewarding us with your righteousness right now, that we can live for you, that we can walk with you, that we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ right now while we live here on earth. Help us, Lord Jesus, to celebrate the new year and begin afresh to glorify you in all that we say and do. In Christ's name, everybody said amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Remain standing for a little bit more here as I read for you my text from the book of Lamentations, you might say, wow, it's New Year's Day and Pastor Mark's text comes from the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is actually a transliteration of the actual title. The, the actual title means to weep, to lament, right? Lamentations. And, uh, and so they call it Lamentations. It sounds more like the name of a book, but if we were going to put it in modern day language, the book would be called to weep. There was a lot to weep about during the time that this was written, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the Bible tells us the weeping may endure for a night. What comes in the morning? Joy. Isn't that true? Haven't you found in your life that you have lived and served the Lord? There are times of great difficulty, but it seems that if you can just hang on, guess what, guys? Those things will change. My sermon today is called New Mercies. Everybody say New Mercies. New Days. New Year. Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, and therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good to them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Before we pray, I just want you to know that when you understand when these things were written, they will mean a whole lot more to you, so we're going to hear them again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, though weeping does endure for a night, that joy comes in the morning. Lord, that you will give us dancing feet, but before that we will be wearing the garment of heaviness. Lord, you do give us beauty, but... They spring forth, the beautiful blooms of our future spring forth from the ashes of destruction. Lord, before resurrection comes death. And Lord, before anything new, there was always something old. 
Help us today, Lord, as we go to your word to remember and be reminded that your mercies are new every morning, that you give us new days, and that right now we stand on the very first day of the newest thing that you have given us, and it is the new year, 2023. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, you may be seated. God's mercies are new, everybody say new, every morning. You know, that is joy in and of itself right there because nothing can change this fact. Knowing this should keep us smiling through anything. No circumstances that exist in the world and in this advent of time, no act of an enemy or even of ourselves, nothing, everybody say nothing, can turn back this truth. Not only can nothing separate us from the love of God, ultimately, but nothing can do this, even for more than one full day that we live here under the ticking seconds of time in the here and the now. Not that you need to be reminded of this, but things will happen. Things have happened, right? Right? Things what? All kinds of things. You're in Ukraine, maybe it's a bomb blows up the apartment building next door and kills your relatives or while your wife is on the way to the grocery store, another explodes and she's taken from you. That's pretty rough if you're living in Ukraine, right? You're living in another part of the world, maybe in Myanmar, maybe you went to bed thinking things were going to be fine, and in the middle of the night, the military came, and, and, and you had just were able to escape with yourself, but they burned your home and everything that you have, and it's gone. Things will happen. Everybody say, things will happen. Last night, about 1 o'clock in the morning, somebody, I don't know who, was on their way somewhere and lost control of their car, and they hit a power pole, and... Their night changed. Their new year began with something they didn't think. It caused the power to go out at our house. Our power still not on. All night long, a power was out. I don't know if they lived or they died. I don't know who they were, but they certainly weren't thinking, you know, today I'm going to drive down the road and I'm going to hit a pole. And it's going to destroy my car and maybe destroy my body. They weren't thinking that, were they? But Things happen, they say, say things happen. I remember Jonathan and Valiant on their way. Hey, well, will meet you over at the church. And next thing you know, we're getting a call. A car came out of London Road and bam, hit them and sent them spinning and bam, into a pole. Could have easily killed them right then, but God spared them, right? Everybody say things happen. Not only do things happen, but things have already happen. Things you can't undo. You can't go back and fix. Can any of us go back in time and fix anything? Change it? Oh, let's just make it that it didn't happen. Right, Joy? You, there's things in your life. If you could just go back and say, no, they didn't happen, but you can't do that, can you? Everybody say, things have happened. Things will happen, and things have happened, but that does not change what we're talking about today. Verse 31 says, what shall we say to these things? 
what? The things that happen. The things that already happened and the things that are going to happen. What shall we say to these things? This is in Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? Because sometimes we got to speak to those things, right? That's why people go to counseling. That's why people sit down. What are they going to do? They got to talk about what? The things. What? The things that have happened. Sometimes they're being counseled because they have anxiety about the things that what? Will happen because they're going to happen. Oh, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this doesn't happen? And oh, 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 things are going to happen and things are happening right now. Things have happened. But what shall we say? Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Say all things. Now, you know, when we normally hear this from Romans chapter 8, we think about all the things we want. He gives us all things, right? He's going to give us the money we need. He's going to give us the life we want, the house we want, the, the marriage that we want, the, the children that we want. He's going to give us all things. But I don't think we think about all the other things that he gives us too. The car accidents, the cancers, the suffering, the war, the bombs that drop, the civil wars. We, he freely, he, God freely gives us all things. Well, I don't really want all that. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? Is it Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us? He, first he asks what? Everybody say what? And the next thing he asks is who? You see, things happen and people happen in our lives, do they not? You might go, well, what is coming next? Another question might be, who's coming next? Who's right around the corner? Who is going to be in our life? Who's going to play a role? But no matter what they do, no matter what they have done, who, who, everybody say who, who shall separate us from the love of God? Anybody going to do that, John? Don't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what they, what they say. It doesn't matter where they came from. It doesn't matter why they do what they do. Can they? separate us from the love of God. Everybody say, they cannot. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he begins to make a list. Christina, shall tribulation? Everybody say, no, tribulation ain't going to do it. Shall distress? Shall persecution? Shall famine? Shall nakedness? Shall peril? Shall sword? You see, these things aren't just what's, they're who's, because peril comes from people. A sword doesn't just show up, right? Let's outlaw swords. No one will get hurt if we do that. No, I don't think it's the swords that are hurting people. It's the people with the swords in their hands, right? That's why he says, who? Shall tribulation? Tribulation doesn't just come. It comes through what? It comes through people. Distress, persecution, Nakedness, peril, sword, as it is written, here's what it says. 
As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. This has got to be one of the most depressing scriptures in the Bible. As it is written, we get killed all day long. What, is it, what in the world does that even mean? He's saying it right in the middle of nothing shall separate us from the love of God. No one can separate us from the love of God. Not distress, not peril, not sword, not famine, not nakedness, not all these difficult things. But he goes, and you know what? We get killed all day long. What's he talking about? He's saying, you change. You end. You are not the center and the star of the story that's being told. It is God. And for his sake, we are killed all day long. We are the unimportant members in the cast. You might go, well, that's not nice. Well, the Bible says we should not think more highly of ourselves than we, than we ought. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. I mean, you know, we love the, story, uh, the stories of the Bible, but I mean, imagine if the whole story of the Bible was about the sheep, you know, and we know Christ, of course, is the only sheep we want to talk about. But, but imagine your role in life is to, is to die so that other people could have a good life. Imagine if we told, told the story of the sheep. They lived this beautiful life. Why? So they could have their throats cut. They could be offers to sacrifice for your sins. Like, well, I don't really like that story. That's not really the story. But he says, for, but this is what it is. This is who we are, Right? For thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, everybody say nay. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He goes right back to it. For I am persuaded. And this is where we need to be today. We need to be persuaded of this. We should not be persuaded that nothing bad is going to happen to us. We don't need to be persuaded that nothing bad or no one bad is going to come in our lives. They're coming! But you know what they're not coming to do? <laughs> they're not coming to separate me from Christ. Because they can't. It's coming. This thing is going to happen, whatever it is. But you know what it's not going to do? It is not going to separate me from God Almighty and His kindness and His salvation or His purpose in my life. In fact, the thing that's coming is not there to hurt me as it goes on to say here in Romans chapter 8, but all things come together for good to those that love God. That God is bringing all these things, those things that are happening to us, those people that are hurting us, He's bringing them into our lives. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. You see what He's talking? He's dealing with your anxiety. He's dealing with your trauma. For some of us, it's trauma because it happened. For some people, it's anxiety because we're afraid it's going to come. And for other of us that had bad things happen, we got anxiety about the things that might happen. But the Bible deals with it all right here, and it says, whatever it is, it is coming. But let me tell you what it cannot do. It cannot separate us from the love of God. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, I love the list. You might go, What's all this about? Sometimes when I'm writing, I feel like I need to quit making lists. But you know why I make lists when I write like this? Because God does this. It's in the Bible. I always want to go, but this and this and this. And I go, you know, I'm kind of like 
It's like I'm in this little pattern. Well, where did I get it? I get it from here. God could have just said nothing, but he doesn't do that because we need to hear more than that. Why? Because we're living through it and we're going, yeah, but uh, you don't know about that. I mean, you said nothing, but you probably didn't mean that. And he said, well, just in case you want to know what I mean by it all. And I've even had people that have serious problems with faith because they, they, they see something left out of this list. Have you guys ever met anybody? It says nothing, but it doesn't say this. And I, I've had a person say this to me. And I'm like, you've got a, you've got a problem. Because the Bible, this is an all-inclusive list. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. I think that's kind of covered it all, right? But just in case that wasn't enough, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Does it, do you think it sounds pretty comprehensive, Titus? Right? Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And they go, yeah, but you know what's not in that list? Is me. And I could really screw it up and be... No, no, no. Any, everybody say any creature. You're a creature too. Just, just get relaxed. Just don't... Well, it was left out of the list. So, oh no, I'm going to mess it all up. No, you can't even mess this up. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He that began a good work in you will do what he will. Complete it. Your heart condemns you. God is greater than your heart. Abraham could not keep the promise of God. And we know what happened. God stood up and he offered the sacrifice. And he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I'm going to keep the covenant with you. Nothing. He's like, Abraham, let me tell you what's going to be in your life. I'm going to bless you. And you're going to bless all the nations of the world. And in you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. Your seed shall be more than the stars in the heavens shall be more than the sand and the sea. That's the way it's going to be. And Abraham could, oh, but I'm going to mess that up. And God's like, no, you can't mess it up because I said it's going to be. God's word does not, he doesn't just talk. If God says that's what's going to happen, you can be 100-year-old, be married to an 80-year-old woman who never had a baby, and God is not somehow going, I just don't know how it's going to be. Maybe God needs our help. No, in fact, God let it, go to that extreme point so he could realize he wasn't really the one in charge of what was going on. What can we say? Who can change these facts? Everybody say nothing and no one. Kind of sets you up for what's coming next. What's coming next? What's coming next, Josh? Guess what? Doesn't matter what's coming next. Doesn't matter. Why? Because nothing and no one, some people aren't afraid of what thing is coming, it's they're worried about what person is coming next. Sometimes someone walks in the door and I'm like, oh no. Mm. Oh no. Everybody say nothing and no one. It's quite a way to start a new year, really, thinking about the daily newness of these promises, of these new mercies the new days, and this new year. You know what we don't need to do, and, and I this is no affront to you, Tim. Tim's like, I need to resolve. I know where that word coming from. Everybody say New Year's resolutions. I'm not against them, whatever. 
make them. I hope you make. I hope you resolve to be nicer to me. That'd be great. I resolve to send Mark, you know, lots of encouragement. Oh wait, where's that? I got some. I just want to. I got some encouragement from Josh today. And I did love your. I did love the encouragement I got from you. Okay, but when you understand what he sent, you may want to. You may want to rethink it. He brought me a box of chocolate Intamin donuts. That's not all he gave me, but that was the most encouraging, brother. I just want to thank you for that. But we don't need to make a resolution about this thing I'm talking about today. You understand what I'm saying? This resolution of resolutions has been spoken over us by God. We may not need a resolution, but we should certainly be resolved. And I'll tell you what, this is what resolve is. Resolve is this. What's coming my way? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter. Who's coming my way? Oh, are they going to hurt me? It doesn't matter. Because nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Nothing is going to separate me. We're going to get to this in the book of Lamentations. Nothing is going to separate me from the new mercies of God. They can't undo them. They can't stand in their way. They can't crumble before them. Who are they? When things happen that leave us speechless, what shall we say? What and who can change what God has promised? Everybody say, nothing and no one. And yet those days will come this year, maybe as soon as today or tomorrow when that thing or that person, they're coming. The prophet most agree that spoke the words that I read for you in my text from Lamentations chapter 3. Most people believe that prophet was Jeremiah. In fact, the Greek Septuagint, when it's translated, it actually adds his name to the book and says he did write it. We don't know for sure the book has no internal authorship noted in it. But most agree Jeremiah was the one who spoke and wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But no matter who wrote them, they do know when they were written. And they were written after the enemies of Israel came in like a great flood, destroyed Jerusalem, and took captive God's people and took them to Babylon. The prophet that wrote this lived through a day that stands at least as a rival to anyone's very worst day. It was a day of great death, destruction, and demoralization on a national and historic scale that boggles the mind. And yet, everybody say, and yet, this is what he said. Turning a dread darkened heart from the blackness of his circumstances, he said this in Lamentations chapter 3, This I recall to my mind. Therefore, have I hope. I mean, what a statement. You might go, well, what's his problem? Well, I think you know what his problem is. He's standing in the ashes of Jerusalem and the temple's gone and the priests are dead and, and the whole city's gone and the whole nation's been taken captive and everyone's dead around him. And he says, this is what I recall to my mind. You know what he doesn't recall to his mind, Titus? He doesn't recall the past. 
you know, we used to have it really good around here. No, he didn't say that. He doesn't recall that. He recalls something to mind, but it's not, you know, way back when I was a kid when things were happier and when things were nicer. He doesn't recall that. Oh, I recall the day that that, that, that the temple, uh, you know, went from being a, a tabernacle to a great temple and they built it. Oh, what a great, no, he doesn't. He said, no, he doesn't recall that. I'm telling you, in the midst of what he had lost, he could not even and did not even want to imagine those better days. And I'll tell you what, sometimes people get lost in the better days of their past. They become nostalgic and they end up loving their past because it's fictional. And they can't even live in the present that they are. They're suffering and so they do this. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. What does he recall? We're going to get to what he recalls. What possible thoughts could comfort him at this dismal time, still smelling the smoke of a burning city, the city of Jerusalem, still hearing the echoes of the wailing of widows and widowers crying out for their loved one that they had lost, still reeling from the new normal of no temple, no sacrifice, no priest, no sacrifices, no holy place, no gold-covered furniture in the holy place, no holy of holies, no ark of the covenant, no mercy seat. A torn veil, but not the veil torn after the resurrection of Christ. One torn and discarded and laid aside, covered in shame. What indeed could turn his heart and mind in these slow motion moments where time stood still as though nothing could ever change to turn back the crimson tide that had covered him? This is what he said. Can you see why context is important when you read the Bible? He said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good that a man, that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keeps silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. If there be there that may be hope, he giveth his cheek to him that smites him. He is filled full with reproach. I can think of a lot of things he could have said on that day. But this was inspired of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, why did you let the enemy come? Oh Lord, give us a new, do something great. and uh, Give us something pretty to think about. And oh, oh Lord, we've just been mistreated and our life is a wreck and I don't know if I can go on anymore. Oh, that's not what he said. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Talk about a good thought. Talk about a, a, a settling your life into a right place. When you realize the fact that God lets you live, and this is, this is your best hope, right? You know what? I'm not dead. <laughs> this is basically what he's saying. You know, it's God's mercy that I'm just not dead. You know what? I'm alive. 
So my thought, it's a wonder that God hasn't destroyed us altogether. When things are really bad, really difficult, really confusing, things are happening to us, we might want to stop and ask why God allowed us to be alive at all. And the answer is this, it is His mercy that we are allowed to be alive. It is because of His great compassions that never fail that we remain at all. Paul said this, he said, you know what, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I'm, he said, whether to, I, I'm in a straight betwixt two. Remember this in, in Philippians 1, I'm in a straight betwixt two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Anybody ever want to die? You might go, oh, I don't want to raise my hand, I don't want to say that. I'll raise my hand, I've wanted to die a lot of times. Might, oh, that's sad. Well, it's true. I thought, well, maybe if I died, things would get better for other people or Maybe I wouldn't have to go through rough things or whatever it is that I thought. But I'm like, I, you know what would be better is if I was dead. But you know the truth is? Hey, wait a minute. I ain't dead. Paul said, you know what? Never. He said, it must be that God has something more for me to do because I'm not dead yet. It must benefit you for me to be around because I'm not dead yet. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go ahead and be a benefit. That's what Paul said. I, he said it'd be far better if I could just get out of this flesh and if I could move out of this world where they're kicking me and they're hurting me and they're, you know, thrashing me. Remember Paul, he's like, man, I spent a day and a night in the sea. I got perils of people that I thought were my friends and people that weren't my friends. And I got perils of my own countrymen and I got perils of this and perils of that. And my whole life is complete. I'm knocked down and everything, but I'm not knocked out quite yet. So I guess I'm just going to keep on Going. That's what he's talking about here in Jeremiah. It is the mercy of God that he has not consumed us. And it is his compassion that says that we're alive for one more day. You know what? God doesn't call us to number out the next 500 days and all the great things we're going to do for him. We got today. Everybody say, we got today. His mercies are new. How often, sweetheart? There's been a lot of nights I've prayed in my bed and oh God, help me Lord. Wake up in the morning, oh Jesus, give me, give me the strength to just, just, just live. It's his mercy that has allowed us to survive whatever it was. It is because of his great compassion that we remain at all to help us further. The second truth is that God's mercies that have allowed us to live, that never fail, never fail, as if that wasn't enough, these beautiful, wonderful, purposeful working is working good in our lives and for ourselves and for others. This lovely mercy that should make our hearts sing, these mercies are, verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Those last four words, of Lamentations 2, 23, there are just four short words. Great is thy faithfulness. But they're a whole world, are they not? They're so wonderful, they merit a book full of songs. A man by the name of Thomas Obadiah Chislam. Anybody know him? Nobody knows that guy. He was born in Franklin, Kentucky in 1866. 
He lived 27 years of his life, Stephen, not knowing Christ. But at the age of 27, somebody preached the gospel to him and he heard the call of God in his life and he came to know the Lord. And he got excited about it and he offered what he had to give to God. And one thing he liked to do, sweetheart, he liked to write poems and he began writing poems. By the time he was 57 years old, he'd gotten in a regular rhythm of writing these little poems and little songs about God's glory. And when he was 57 years old, he penned some words that every single one of you know. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. What thou hast been, thou forever will be. By the time he had lived for God for 30 years, Anna, he thought he had lived a whole life, and it's almost like a, an ode to a life that's come to an end. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, right? But you know what he didn't know, Joy? He didn't know that he would get to live to be 93 years old and write 1,200 poems of praise and songs to God. And the only one probably anyone will ever remember got dropped right smack down in his life at age 57. You know, when I got to thinking about that, I'm like, I'm not even 57 years old yet. And for a song like that to be written, it might take 30 years of God's curing in your life of his goodness and his mercy and his kindness and his blessings for you to go. Oh, great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my father. And that's what he did. And because of that, what do we sing? Jonathan, you like that song? Both of you, I'm looking at two Jonathans and one look right over there. A man who was working for Moody Bible Institute received that poem in the mail. And I bet as he began to read the words, this man, his name was William Runyon. He may be a man who never knew how to uh, write beautiful words, but when he began to read the words of Chislam had sent him in the poem, a melody began to rise in his heart. He began to hear the words sung because I'm telling you to read the words are one thing, but to sing them are yet another. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. I'm telling you, I imagine this man because I'm a writer myself, I'm a poet, and and I think I've written a lot of poems. I've written, have, I don't have 1,200 of them written down, though. And I'm like, well, maybe I need to write 600 more. Maybe, maybe out of me, maybe out of suffering and difficulty or out of experience, God's goodness. Because I'll tell you what, you know what I've experienced more than anything in my life is the goodness of God. I've, re I've had this much suffering. And I've had this much goodness from God. God has blessed me and he has given me so many things. I'm embarrassed to pray half the time. You might go, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'll tell you. 
When God blesses you and answers your prayer and is kind to you and lets you do things that you never imagined, you almost start to get to where you feel bad. Like, like, I don't know if I should ask for one more thing, God. I mean, I mean, I mean, what more, what more could you give somebody, Lord? But apparently this man at the age of 57, and I, I feel that way right now and I'm 54. I feel like right now, I don't, I can't even imagine anything kind God needs to do for me or be in my life. He's already been, if the rest of my life is misery and drudgery and woe, I'm telling you right now, you, it, it doesn't matter. God has given me more than I can ever imagine having already. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. You see, a song comes from somewhere as we heard the song Amazing Grace. You've heard that many times and it came from where? It came from a slave owning ship captain who came to God and realized the wretchedness of his life. But greatest thy faithfulness comes from a life that has lived to see the faithfulness of God. And I'll tell you what, I've seen it. I've seen it. In verse 24 of Lamentations chapter 23, he says, The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in Him. And if, if, you, if you miss the Hebraic language and you miss the understanding of what is going on, you'll miss this point, but I, I got it for you. You're not going to miss anything right now. Everybody say, the Lord is my portion. I mean, that seems like a statement. It sounds like something King James. The Lord is my portion. Well, I'll, let, let, me, let me break it down for you. You see, the children of Israel, they were used to offering sacrifice to the Lord and they would go to the temple. Sister Caitlin, they would bring a lamb that would be offered to, to uh, they would give it to the priest. The priest would go and they would kill the lamb. They would offer it as a sacrifice. They would quarter it. They would cut the haunches off. They would put it in sections and they would drop the meat down into a giant boiling cauldron of water under which was fire and it would be boiling and cooking. And they didn't just come to... There were burnt offerings, but most of the offerings that were offered were not burnt offerings. They were food offerings. They were offerings we're going to eat. And if you might remember from a story, a bad story in the Bible, the story of Hophni and Phinehas, what these guys would do is they would make sure they got the best portion. Remember this? They would go and they would find, where's the, where's the best piece of meat? And they would get it out for themselves. But the way that God had it done so that it would be providential is they put a hook on a rope and they put it down and whatever the hook grabbed, that was your portion. And when people were cheating, they'd, uh, you know, where's the good one? And they, they hooked the one for themselves. So this is with this language. The Lord is my portion. You see, the prophet declared that the Lord himself was the portion. Remember when Jesus said, if you come to me, he said, you have to eat my flesh. And drink my blood. People didn't like that. But what was he saying? He was saying what Jeremiah said. I'll be your portion. When everything and everyone else is gone, the Lord never leaves. A temple can burn and priests can flee. 
they can die, they can fail, an altar can crumble, but in the end, may we be like the prophet of Lamentations and may we say, you know what? They can, they can fish out of this uh, cauldron all they want. They can take the best for themselves. There can may not even be a priesthood. There can not even be a temple. All the gold can melt and run down the street. I don't care about what I get from the pot. I want Jesus. I want God to be my portion. Don't wait on things to change or people to change because they often never do. But wait, everybody say wait. Verse 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for Him. To the soul that seeks Him, we can be like those who, who want to get the very best out of the pot for ourselves. We can always be seeking and hoping and trying and always trying to make sure we get taken care of. Or we could just say, you know what, I don't really care. After these things do the Gentiles seek. I don't seek for that. Excuse me. The Lord is good to them that wait for Him. To the soul that seeks Him. Seek the Lord while He may be found, for we will find Him. When we seek for Him, He's not something so hidden that we cannot find. Don't waste your new days. Don't waste your new years seeking after what the Gentiles seek. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, the things that you need, the things that you really want, will be added unto you. Wait, I say, on the Lord and seek Him early. Verse 26, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Hope in God will never disappoint us. The Bible says He gives us the hope that will never make us ashamed. Verse 27, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. You know, we have a lot of young people here. In the book of Lamentations, this time, I'll tell you what, when things go bad, you talk about getting perspective in your life about what's important. You guys have an opportunity to say, what is important? I want to build on that. These other things change. These other things aren't going to be around. These other things aren't important. My wife was talking to one of our relatives, and they were trying to explain to them, they're like, you know, she's trying to plan a wedding, and she's like, we don't really know how to do it, and, and she's saying, hey, you know, here's what you do. She said, you know, we don't really know how to act towards family. She said, include your family, because let me tell you about them. These other people that might seem to be your friends, they may not even be people you know in five years from now. But we're always going to be your family. We're going to be here next Christmas and we're going to be here next Christmas and we're going to be around. We're going to be in your life. We love you. You're our niece. You see what I'm saying? There's an importance that comes when you say, I'm going to build my life on what matters. So while you're young, don't build on the transitory and shifting sands the world offers, but on Christ, the solid rock. Storms are coming. Houses are going to fall, but those things built on the rock will stand.
Verse 28, he said, He sits alone and he keeps silence because he hath borne it upon him. Serving God may seem lonely, but when he is our closest friend, we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother and one that is not going to abandon us, is not going to let us down, is not going to disappoint us. We may not know what to say, but we don't need to, to say it. He's already said all that needs to be said and His Word will not return to Him void. Verse 29, He says, He puts His mouth in the dust. If so, there may be hope. Let all the earth keep silence before the great wisdom of God. You know, when we're having a, a, a hard time, it's not always the time to start talking. It might be the time to start listening for God's voice and for thinking about what it is that we need to do in our lives to be built on the rock. He gives His cheek to him that smites him. He's filled full with reproach. You might not really think of this, but this is telling us that when God comes and He smites us, you know what we should do to God? We should turn the other cheek to God and say, you should hit me here too. He's saying, shut your mouth. Be humble before the Lord. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He says He gives His cheek to him that smites Him and He is filled full with reproach. You know, once you see who you are as the man who wrote Amazing Grace, right? What an ama It's amazing what? That God would save such a wretch as me. And he sang those words and he could mean them like nobody else. He knows what he's done. When you read the story of his life, when they would get caught, do you know, do you know when, when, when they would get in trouble? It, some of the things they did, these slave ship captains did, were horrible. And they would catch them and so they had a little way. What they did, some of the things they did are so horrible that they don't want to talk about them. So crimes are known by evidence, right? And so as, the, as ships would come to see what they were doing, they would push all the slaves over, chained up with weights on them so they would be at the bottom of the sea. So when they were inspected, guess what, guys? <laughs> we don't have any slaves here. This was a normal practice of slave ships. Imagine having to live with that. We go, oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm... You go, well, how did he live with that? You know, the Apostle Paul said, I am a chief of sinners. Why? You don't have to read hard between the lines to know what he did. He hailed men and women. He pulled them out of their houses. They were killed. They were Christians. He stood by Stephen calling on God as stones were hitting him in his head and he was bleeding and his skull was crushed. Paul was there consenting unto his death, it says. And Paul had to live with that. You might go, well, I have to live with a lot. You have to live with a lot. Do you have to live with that? You ever push 50 slaves overboard so they drown? Or have you killed Christians? You might go, well, no. What shall we say then about things that have happened? about things that are going to happen. You might go, well, but I did this or I did that or I am this or I am that. You know, God isn't daunted by that. When He saved 
the man who wrote Amazing Grace, he knew all about his sins. What does it say, Joy? Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Let all the earth keep silence before his great wisdom. Though our outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. We die all the day offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God as our reasonable service, not conforming ourselves to an ever-changing world, but being transformed into the unchanging image of God. He throws out verse 31. He says, for the Lord will not cast off forever. See, this is what he means by his mercy. He's like, yeah, I know. See, he was, he was there in the smoldering ashes of a city that was destroyed and they were taken captive. Why? Because they sinned against God and God was saving the nation by bringing judgment upon them. And Jeremiah was going, God's not going to cast me off forever. When you're going through something difficult and you're going through something hard and things aren't happening the way that you want them, you need to be reminded his compassions are even in the difficulties that he brings. And I say, especially in the difficulties he brings. The fiery trials of God are sent to purify us and to mortify the old man rising up within us, exalting himself above Christ, for he must indeed be cast down. Verse 32, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion. Everybody say, God causes grief. Yeah. You don't think Jeremiah had rent his clothes? You don't think that he had put ashes on his face? You don't think he looked around and he saw the destruction all around him and he knew the cause of it? It was God who had brought the judgment and we know ultimately it was because of their sin, but he understood that God was the bringer of these things. But though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion? Yeah, he causes grief, but guess what else he does? He also has mercy. Our troubles are sure to come. As sure as the new mercies of God, those mercies often come to us in the form of trouble. His compassions fail not, and He is faithful to work patience and wisdom in us and to perfect us in His love. Verse 33, For He doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men to crush under His feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause. The Lord approves it not. Who is he that saith as it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? He's saying, who is it that acts like when things happen that it wasn't God who brought it to pass? Fools. What happens, God has wrought for our good and all the goodness and mercy, whether it seems to us to be good at the time. Verse 38, out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good. As Job said to his wife, who urged him wrongly to despair, she told him to curse God and die. What did he say to her in return in Job chapter 2, verse 10? We have received good from the hand of the Lord. Shall we not receive evil also? And this was not meant to cast a shadow upon the goodness of God, but, it, but to, put, to put proper perspective into what was coming into their life and where it came from. It seems evil to us, 
How many, you know who knows this better than anybody probably in the whole wide world are people in basic training to be Navy SEALs. They're kicking and they're yelling and they're screaming and they're throwing them and they're hurting them and they're like, what is wrong with these people? What's wrong with them? They want to turn those soldiers into the greatest soldiers on earth. They're going to beat them down. They're going to cause them to ignore pain. They're going to cause them to have bodies that are so fit that no enemy can on earth can compete with them. And so what do they do? They hammer at them. They push at them. They stretch them. They do these things to them because why? Because they love them and they want them to win when it comes to the battle. It was not meant to cast a shadow on God's goodness, but to say that those things that seem evil to us are good for they come to us from a God who is only good. There is no shadow of turning in him. Wherefore doth a living man complain, it says in verse 39. Where does a li- Why does a living man complain? A man complain for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with hands unto God in the heavens. Everybody say, nothing and no one can change the fact that God's mercies are new every morning. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy. We're thankful that on this very first day of 2023, we have a vision of what you are going to be doing in us and through us, Lord. And we have somewhere to start. As the prophet Jeremiah or whoever the prophet was that wrote the book of Lamentations, Lord, as he saw the great uh, mind-clearing difficulties that were going on in his life, he understood that in the end, having you as his portion was all that mattered, and that it was your mercy that we were not completely consumed. Lord, may we start with that humility May we offer you what we have and may we hope and be quiet before you in hope about what you will do in and through us, Lord, not because of anything good that we have done or anything that we deserve, but because you are good and your compassions fail not, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us. 